This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing. And today I'm joined by Christina Vale, who is the Director of Client Strategy at Profitero, an e-commerce insights company. Christina Christina works with brands to enhance their e-commerce strategies, including ways to leverage data to drive performance. Prior to joining Profitero, Christina worked at PepsiCo in both brick and mortar and e-commerce roles and also worked in strategy consulting at LEK Consulting. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you so much, Kiri. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Yeah, so you were also a contributor to Instacart for CMOs, my most recent book co-authored with Stefan Jordan that came out earlier this year. So we're just chatting before the show. We feel like we've met each other, but this is the first time that we're actually speaking. <laughs> so bizarre, but yes, I feel like I know you and I'm, I'm so happy to be chatting kind of live. Mm. And so you recently published a report at Profitero featuring a bunch of e-commerce and retail leaders talking about building a high-performance pro- high CPG e-commerce organization, which is a great topic because we're in the midst of a serious evolution for a lot of brands as they scale up their e-commerce channel. And a lot of questions that I'm hearing from brands about what should my internal team look like? What's the place of outside consultants and agencies in that in that setup? This concept of a maturity curve that I can't wait to get into. How should brands speak with their executive teams about this, the e-commerce opportunity? And so, so, so many great insights from this report. And we'll explain how people can check that out at the end. But we're going to jump into that on yeah, the... Yeah call today. So why did you decide to conduct this research? I think it's for so many reasons that you just ran through. We at Profitero, right, you you included in the introduction, we provide e-commerce analytics. We also tend to be, you know, one of the first couple calls for our clients when they're trying to think through various elements of their e-commerce strategy. So we work with a lot like you, a lot of big established brands that are trying to figure out how do we integrate e-commerce strategy and e-commerce as a channel into our broader business. And, you know, one of the key questions, especially in the last 18 or so months, is how should I organize? And I think I included the statistic in the report of everyone that I interviewed for the report, of which is probably a dozen or so brands and senior leaders at those brands, at least 50% openly said, I'm about to reorganize, or I just completed a reorganization. And I didn't ask all of them, right? So it's on, I think it's on the majority of people's minds. And so instead of us kind of, you know, having one-off points of view on how you should organize, we realize, you know what, this is worth digging into and having a data-driven point of view. That's not just based on, you know, one or two people's experience. And for context, I, like you mentioned in my introduction, I worked at PepsiCo. It was my my first job out of college. I was there for a number of years, went through a rotational program and ended up on the e-commerce team. And I experienced a lot of these stages of maturity, if you will, on my own, 
And so I was talking to clients saying, well, this is what it felt like for me, but we wanted to go validate that, you know, I wasn't just using N of one and that it actually, there was a through line there and we found it. I think that was one of the, the surprising parts is I saw my own experience of Pepsi kind of reflected in a lot of organizations as we're all figuring out how to, how to work our way through it and how to become really mature and effective in the e-commerce channel. So that was the impetus. We, we just wanted to make sure we had a, a strong point of view to help our clients as they navigate all of the changes that the last 12 to 18 months have brought. So why are so many brands saying that they intend to reorganize their internal teams? So, you know, in the last year or so, e-commerce is a percent of total sales, depending on the vertical that you're working in, it's likely exploded. And we'll see how that shakes out, right, in the coming months. But a lot of science point to that it's going to stay that way, right? It may move up and down, but e-commerce is going to continue to be a larger portion of your total sales than it was in, say, 2019. And as sales shift to the channel, like a lot of brands are realizing, you know, a, a few things. Maybe I don't have the right capabilities. Maybe I don't have enough headcount. Maybe I'm not connected to different internal teams like supply chain or finance or brand marketing in the way that I should be to really get things done. And that's usually the cause for, okay, I think I need to rethink my team. You know, maybe my team of four or five that were primarily managing Amazon.com, maybe partnering with Instacart or something like that, maybe that's not sufficient. And I need to think about it more comprehensively and really start to build capabilities. And that that usually drives the initial question and people want to get a sense for how do I stack up against my competition? What a different benchmark, what are different models? And really it comes down to what are high performing teams doing? And that's, I mean, it's a mouthful, the title of the report, but that's why we landed on it is just, you know, what does best in class look like and how do you get there? Because I think there can be, and we'll talk about the maturity curve, there can be kind of a knee jerk, like, well, what's the best doing? And then I want to go straight to there. And really, you'll be more successful if you take a measured approach and first understand how mature are you currently and based on your maturity, which organizational models or elements of an organizational model are likely to propel your business forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about that maturity curve because that's a key concept from the report. What is that broadly speaking and what are the benefits to a company of knowing where they fall? Totally. Yeah. So the way we thought about this, and we didn't set out to build a maturity curve, the key question we set out to answer is how should teams be organized? And what we realized as I was having these, these conversations and doing research is it really is not a one size fits all. It is not, hey, you know, you're currently in a sales led team and you need to be in a separate business unit, just focused on e-commerce. That's not the answer at all. It really comes down to where are you currently? How mature is your organization? And then what are the activities that you should drive based on that maturity? And the premise is that the end goal is that e-commerce is a fully integrated part of your business and it's managed as a channel in the same way that grocery or mass or convenience is managed as a channel and it's integrated within everything. But to get there, you need to kind of go through a series of steps. It's not as straightforward. If you currently are really low on the maturity curve. And that could be for many reasons. It could be because your vertical just isn't highly penetrated. And if you try and go all the way to the right-hand side of the curve, and I hope everyone goes and downloads the reports, so they know what I'm talking about. If you go all the way to the right-hand side of the curve, it's not going to be sustainable. And so what we did, it's six stages, and it's based on the activity you're doing. So in early days, the first couple of stages are evangelize and educate. And what that means is, yes, of course, you're, you're keeping the business afloat. You're probably managing your Amazon business at minimum, but your primary function and the way you're going to advance maturity is through evangelizing your message. 
The premise being that if you're really early in maturity, you need to bring a lot of people with you. You need to probably convince your leadership team or at minimum your boss or your boss's boss that this channel matters. And so the report walks through, okay, if you're in the evangelized stage, what, what can you be doing to be effective? And then it tells you, okay, once you've done these three or four things, you should move to the next phase. The next phase is educate. That's more formal education, translating data for different members of senior leadership. A lot of what I talked about in my interviews, and there's actually, we broke it out as a separate section because it was so, I thought, so useful, is how to talk to senior leaders, how to educate them. What kinds of tools can you use? And translation was one that we kept coming back to, right? What is the brick and mortar equivalent in e-commerce? And I experienced this time and time again when I was on brand side, and that a lot of the leaders of these organizations came up through kind of traditional brick and mortar roles. So they know IRI and Nielsen data, like the back of their hand, they can look at a spreadsheet with that data and know exactly what's going on. And that level of fluency is yet to be achieved in a lot of organizations for e-commerce. And so how do you make it really simple and make sure people understand, hey, you know, this is why share of page one matters. This is why my availability rate matters even more so in e-commerce, arguably, than in a, in a brick and mortar store. And so those are really the things that teams should be focused on in the early days. And then we break out and go to kind of middle maturity and there's various objectives that you want to focus on there. And then late stage maturity, which is really about empowering an organization and integrating your e-commerce headcount into the business units so that the whole organization is really strong and able to manage the channel and it's not a separate team. And then what coincides with those stages of maturity are three prevailing business models and by the organizational models rather. And what we didn't want to do is say there's a one-to-one map because there's not, but there's definitely some strong themes. So in early stages of maturity, you tend to see smaller teams, mostly reporting up through sales. Sometimes they report up through marketing in middle maturity. And what happens in middle maturity is really a lot of capability development and a lot of sprinting to advance the organization quickly. And we see that is most effectively managed by what we call the sidecar. So that is a separate business unit that's made up of cross-functional, cross-functional teams, and they are specifically dedicated to e-commerce. And then late stage maturity, like I said, it's all about integrating back in. And so when you integrate back in, you're going to now have headcount spread across. You're going to have your supply chain e-commerce, your sales e-commerce, your marketing e-commerce, but they're reporting up through those functions, not through e-commerce. And they're typically supported by a center of excellence. Because one thing we are not suggesting is that e-commerce is you know, set in stone. The channel is not going to change and you can just fold it back in and manage a business as usual. The channel will continue to be very complex. And so you want to maintain a center of excellence to keep an eye on the horizon and how things are evolving. And so the, you'll see in the report, there's kind of these three big organizational structures that loosely map to the stages of maturity. Super interesting. I see a lot of intersections between this study and one that I led that will be publishing soon for the Digital Shelf Institute around profitability in e-commerce. And these org design and profitability are pretty closely linked and the link is the P&L and how profitability is is calculated for these channels. And it's been a bit of a, it's a concern, particularly for Instacart as an example to call that out. So sales from Instacart show up on the retailers, you know, from the retailer account. So Kroger or Costco or wherever that sale actually happened. 
and there's no way to really split that out from other Kroger sales. But the marketing spend is usually borne by the e-commerce team or the marketing team. So there's a little bit of misalignment in who gets the benefit of that investment if it's the sales team that's actually capturing the revenue and the marketing team that is allocated the cost of, of that channel. And so that's where what you're talking about with there being sort of those stages and ultimately the most advanced one being reintegration into the org, that is definitely in alignment with what I found speaking with enterprise level brands who are, you know, battling the treatment of the e-commerce P&L within their companies. So <laughs> this, I guess the question hmm. buried there is, what struck out to you in terms of PNL in this research that you did? Yeah, that was a it was a key question as we went through is kind of in which models who owns the PNL. And when you're reporting up through sales, typically, right, there's always exceptions, but typically if you're head of e-commerce and you're reporting up through sales, you likely have PNL ownership. But even if you have PNL ownership, and Instacart's the perfect example, you probably don't own the Instacart budget. Or you may not own it. That may sit with marketing. And then you have to figure out attribution and you have to do a lot of educating and convincing, for lack of a better word, that it's the right spend. And it does get difficult. This is arguably a reason to move to that sidecar model where there can be full P&L ownership. Now, the key watch out there is if again if we keep the end in mind if the end goal is that this channel is fully integrated and is managed as part of all other channels as you're managing your business if you start to build out this big business unit that's just e-commerce folding it back in is going to get more and more difficult and finding a home for where these budgets eventually go is difficult now does that mean you need to plan three years in advance for right now of course not, but I think strong leaders are looking out at the horizon and figuring out what am I going to do with this, you know, once this becomes even more mature. But in the here and now, by having it in one team and handing that budget over to the e-commerce team or wherever your experts sit, right? You want that Instacart budget to be with strong digital marketers who understand the business implications and then route back to the sales team that it's going to impact, right? I've, I've been working on a project with a large food and beverage brand, and it's something that we've been talking about a lot is, hey, how should your salespeople, your brick and mortar salespeople be talking to large retailers about what is being invested with Instacart? And it's difficult because those retailers also want retail media dollars. And having you know salespeople that can effectively discuss all the different ways that the brand is investing in the relationship with the retailer is tricky. And that, again, that leads me back to the importance of education. There's a section in the paper on educating C-suite. There's also a section on educating everyone else. And I think, you know, talking with executives on how they've educated their sales teams was very enlightening. And this is one of them, right? It's the way that a salesperson can sit across the desk from a buyer, I guess, virtually these days and talk about unit economics, penny profit, the sell story to get your innovation into the set. They should be equally effective at talking about these e-commerce levers, 
talking about the dollars that are being invested via Instacart, talking about retail media. And so as you're, you know, if you're an e-commerce leader and you are overseeing one of these business units that's really well integrated, don't lose sight of all those other people that are equally responsible for whether or not you hit your sales target. I, again, a quick tangent, I've talked to a couple clients recently that a large portion of business goes through Target. I've heard numbers 20% higher in the most recent period that sales are going through digital platforms. That's a big number. And the salesperson that's on Target, there's on the customer team on Target, that's a make or break on whether or not they hit their number for the year. So even if you know you don't have a dedicated target person on your e-commerce team, I hope you're reaching out to that target customer team and you're educating them and explaining you know why you should be really focused. I keep coming back to share page one. It's my favorite e-commerce metric. We don't have to go down that path, but you know why does share page one really matter and how are you managing it? So again, I think we, we started uh, through the lens of, of profitability and how to manage it, but this idea of connectivity is what I kept coming back to writing the report and whether it's you're bringing a business unit together or you're breaking it apart maintaining connections with the rest of the organization is absolutely paramount. So going back to that section that you have called how to speak to the C-suite about e-commerce, this is definitely something that is close to my heart. Securing budget for advertising and other promotional efforts is a challenge for a lot of brands, a lot of e-commerce teams within brands. Why is it often hard for e-commerce teams to justify investment or increased in investment in e-commerce? Well, I think a typical reaction to, you know, we need investment or you're, you know, you're an, an e-commerce leader and you're trying to put together the internal story for why you need budget. Senior leaders are likely to ask about incrementality. And I think, I hope some of that, my sense is some of that has decreased in the last year or so as clearly consumer preferences and retailer investments are shifting things from one channel to the next, but it's still very much on people's minds. You know, how incremental is this? And so when it comes to educating or, or internally communicating, I suggest focusing on the opportunity cost and focusing on where consumers are. And so it's less about let's go invest in e-commerce because it's going to be incremental to our grocery or mass or convenience sales. And it's more about, well, if we don't go there, we're going to lose 10% of our sales, right? And really taking a data-driven approach to where the consumer is already shopping and where they're likely to continue shopping. The other thing I point to is retailers. Every brand I talked to said they never want to be on their back foot, especially with their key retail partners. They want to be leading their retail partners and advising them and being trusted partners into how consumer preferences are evolving, where they should be placing their bets. And really, you know, we think about JVPs with these big retailers, they don't want to be caught flat-footed. And so because of that, you you shouldn't be waiting to invest, right? You have to meet the consumer where they are and then lead retailers to where the consumers are and are going. And so when it comes to educating, I think it's that, right? So framing it around data and framing it around the consumers and retailers. And then secondly, it's being a translator, being a hyper-effective translator is the through line when I think about the high-performing executives that I interviewed for this piece. And when I think about the executives I worked around when I was at PepsiCo, it's the ones who are able to explain, hey, this is what this looks like in brick and mortar. And then in e-commerce, you know, it looks a little bit different. So when we talk about, you know, a, a company like PepsiCo has a whole team of merchandisers that are in the store every single day and making sure the product's on the shelf, 
and able to be purchased by consumers and shoppers as they're in the store. In an e-commerce world, ensuring you're available and assure, ensuring you're at the top of page one or in a you know favorable position in the set, right, would be the translation. That takes resources. And we don't need the in-store merchandisers, but we need investment that is kind of functioning as an in-store merchandiser in the e-commerce world. And so how do you draw those connections in a way that's not, you know, you don't want to talk, don't want to use a lot of jargon. That was the, the key thing. I have always felt that way. And I was kind of surprised it came through in a lot of the interviews where people just said, you just leave the jargon at home. No executive or no person wants to feel like they don't understand what you're saying. Use business words, <laughs> like talk about profit, talk about sales. You don't need to use highly technical language because it's just people are going to shut down. And this is not rocket science. And I think if, you know, if you're an e-commerce leader and you feel like it's rocket science, you need to make it more simple for people to understand and then they can get behind it. So I think, you know, those are, I guess, three key, three key principles to effectively communicate with with the C-suite. Yeah, those are great tips. So in terms of building the high performance CPG e-commerce organization, where do our... It's a mouthful. Sorry? It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's fine when you're reading it. (laughs) Where do outside agencies and consultants, and for that matter as well, analytics tools like Profitero fit into the mix as brands are designing their ideal organization? I think with anything, strong leaders are thinking through, do I want to build it or do I want to buy it? And there are some things where building it will make a ton of sense. And you want to kind of maintain either the IP or you want your own people to to own a system or, or what have you. What I'm definitely seeing more of is buying it or using partners that have visibility beyond your own organization. It's very powerful to be able to pick up the phone and talk with outside consultants or outside vendors that are focused on some element of your business 100% of the time. So I'll think about you know Profitero in this circumstances and then Curie, obviously, from your side as well. But at Profitero, we think about e-commerce analytics all day long. And we think about how do you benchmark your performance? How do you score your performance? How do you set KPIs? What does good look like and what does better look like? And so having a tool and a team that can help you with that element of e-commerce and then match that with someone on your team who's the owner of the digital shelf analytics, right? That's where I see, when I think of our clients, those are the most successful clients. When they have a dedicated person who owns the data and is helping to do that evangelizing and education using digital shelf data so that they're bringing the rest of the organization with them, but they are the owner. And then we are helping them to ensure we're collecting the right data, get it into you know, the right scorecards or whatever the needs of the client are, they tend to be really successful. So some, I've seen some organizations, you know, try to build their own digital shelf tools and make them super bespoke to their needs. And sometimes, you know, that makes sense. I think more often than not, though, having a, a vendor to help you with your digital capabilities, who's going to be totally focused on enhancing the product and meeting the needs of brands on an ongoing basis is, is super powerful. Yeah. Everyone, you know, when there's a lot of change, leaders want to be able to have a pulse and reach out to different people to say, hey, what are you seeing? Because I think I'm seeing this, but can you validate that? And that can be, I think, you know, just as much as I believe in our, our software solutions so much, I also believe in kind of the, the network we've created where we create spaces for leaders 
an analyst to come together. We have lots of different like executive forums or what do we call them? Cabs, but different groups that get together to share best practices. That's really powerful. So you're not in an echo chamber and you're actually able to learn across verticals or within your own vertical on what best practices are. Yeah, I completely agree about the echo chamber. We've got, sometimes we'll speak with a brand who wants to know, what's your experience with brands in my category, let's say beauty? And it is important somewhat to have category level expertise because there's very specific sort of operational issues in the beauty category on Amazon, let's say. And so it's definitely worthwhile to have someone who's familiar with those. But really, I I think the value of working with either a services vendor or software solutions, either way, you really do want to bring in points of view outside of your category, especially with some of these channels, changes and improvements are rolled out by category sometimes. And there's a lot that you can learn by getting outside of your vertical and learning from bigger companies and smaller ones, frankly, as well. Those one, those companies that are a little smaller than yours, a bit more nimble, trying out different things. And that's the long-term benefit of working with outside parties is that scope and that cross-vertical, cross-channel experience that they can bring. And like you said, going deep on Profitero is for e-commerce analytics specifically. So you know everything there is to know about that. (laughs) And that's just not really possible for one individual in a company to know every new development and change and update across the three different marketplaces that they sell on. It's just, that's a tremendous amount of information to sift and sort through every day. So that's my... <laughs> I also I also would be skeptical of anyone. Like I'm a skeptic of anyone who's an e-commerce expert, right? Like e-commerce is constantly changing. Yeah. And the best experts are the ones that are constantly willing to be proven wrong. And something you believed three months ago is now no longer true. And you're able to take in that new information and change your point of view. And that if you, someone who's leading an e-commerce organization, there's not enough time in the day, right? There's other things to focus on. And so being able to kind of outsource the knowledge and be able to pick up the phone and get and get the latest and greatest information or have a tool that is constantly updating to respond to those changes is quite powerful. The other thing you said, I just want to underscore, there is so much to learn from other verticals. So one thing we did with the, obviously the focus of this report is CPG and really FMCG, right? Think about products that go through a grocery store. But what I, I interviewed people in toys, you know, vertical that is 30 to 40% of sales are going through e-commerce. And then you think about CPG, maybe we're somewhere five to 10%. There's a lot we can learn from the the journey that toys or apparel went through 10 or 15 years ago. And is it one-to-one? Of course not. But it is worthwhile to learn from those leaders and what they went through and how you can avoid repeating mistakes or how you can understand what are they currently managing. So if you talk to people in toys or apparel, they're all of their systems and think about supply chain has to be completely redesigned to meet the needs of the channel. You talked about profitability. Well, if you think it's a problem when it's five or 10% of your sales, think about when it's 40% of your sales and talk to those people about what they're doing to optimize profitability. Now you don't have to do those things right now, but you really should be thinking about, well, what am I going to need to do in a couple of years if the trend continues? And what do I need to start laying the groundwork for as it becomes a greater percentage of total sales? So there's a lot of power 
and getting outside your organization and really, you know, sharing stories, sharing learnings, both within your vertical and outside. Excellent. Love it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't want to boohoo internal teams. I think you and I have worked through <laughs> I was on one and they're full of super smart people. So definitely not. There's power in both. Yeah. Well, also like in my experience, if there's not a point person internally who can, you know, make decisions, is well-informed, knowledgeable about the options, then everything falls off the tracks. You need to have that buy-in internally. You still need to have capable people within the organization who can direct traffic and make things happen. You can't just rely on an agency or, or a solution provider to, you know, click their fingers and, and make all your problems go away. There needs to be internal structures around that too. Great. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for giving us a preview of this report, Christina. It's called Building a High-Performance CPG E-Commerce Organization. How can listeners get hold of the report and continue following the work that you're doing? Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting. Folks can find the report at Profitero.com. Go to the, the resources tab and it's right there for you to download. And then any questions or thoughts you have, feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn, Christina Bale, or reach out to me on email, Christina.Bale at Profitero.com and look forward to keeping the conversation going. Thank you, Christina.